You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, everybody. It's so good to be here and teaching the Bible, but teaching the Bible in a new uh, capacity for Calvary Baptist Church. I'm very excited to be the interim teaching pastor, as you heard earlier in the service. Looking forward to our journey together. Uh, I just finished um, the, matter of fact, today, this Sunday, would have been my fourth anniversary as the interim teaching pastor of the Moody Church. And so instead of being the interim teaching pastor of the Moody Church, I'm excited to be the interim teaching pastor of Calvary Baptist, probably not for four years. I wasn't quite four years, but for three and three quarters years for Moody. Uh, but we'll be praying and on this journey together. I look forward to being a person. I must tell you, this is the first time I've done an interim where I'm not standing in front of people, but this is also the first time in all of our lifetime we've had a global pandemic. So that being said, let's jump into our message. We are going to take, okay, we're continuing through Philippians, which is where we're going to stay for the next few weeks and months as we kind of walk verse by verse through the book of Philippians. We're going to be building on each passage. As always, too, you can go back and watch the prior messages. In doing so, you can catch up if you get behind, you can listen. I mean, the great thing is, I mean, we have this time together on Sunday mornings, but also the messages are always there if you can't make it because they do build on one another. I want to encourage you to do that. We're now to the end of Philippians chapter one, which is going to talk about uh, the marks of a gospel church. And so we're going to look at Philippians 1, 17, excuse me, 27 through 30. And we're going to talk about, talk about some of those marks because there are things that a church should look like and marks it should bear to be a gospel church. Now, um, when I say that, you know, think about this. If you um, sat down to watch a, a football game and the players were dressed in basketball uniforms, it would kind of be weird, right? Uh, you saw a group of soldiers in line with untucked shirts, you know, one boot, you know, maybe one half not wearing their helmets. That too would be strange. Uh, you saw a person using a smartphone, you know, as a hammer. Um, you, would, you would think that was strange. So different roles have certain marks, as do different tools. A phone is not marked by its effectiveness as a hammer, a soldier not marked by uh, sloppiness, and a football team not marked by, I don't know, tank tops and shorts, for that matter. And so there are certain things, the manner of our lives, that kind of marks who we are. I, I actually texted my dad. I thought about using maybe this as an example. He didn't have an old picture, but he was an iron lather or a union iron worker there in, uh, in, in New York as, as a kid. And, and when I was a kid and, you know, I said, dad, do you have any pictures of that? Cause I mean, we all know what a, what a, what a person, an iron worker might wear, you know, the vest, the, the, uh, the tool belt, the, the boots, if they're working in concrete as my dad did with rebar. Um, and so we, we see, that's a certain manner of the way people are. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter one, beginning at verse 27. It says this, only let your manner of life, right? Your marks, if you will, your only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side, 
for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of the gospel, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So this is the end of Philippians chapter 1. Next week, we're going to get into Philippians chapter 2, which is just theologically amazing and also deeply practically and practical and applicable. But here, Paul's finishing up chapter 1. Now, keep in mind that Paul didn't write in terms of chapters. These were added later, chapters and verses. But Paul shifts in these verses from his example to his exhortation to the Philippians. There's an obvious and evident intentional shift that takes uh, place here. And so in doing so, uh, this passage in the Greek text is actually one lengthy sentence. Um, This would be if I was grading a paper, uh, which I'm actually doing next week. If I was grading papers, I would grade this off as a run-on sentence. However, when you're writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you don't get points deducted for run-on sentences. So he's got one big point that he's making here. And it's again, it Paul's lays out kind of the marks of a church in certain capacities. Now, there's there's different people talk about marks of the church. Um, there's ministries that talk about that as as well. I've written on six marks of a church. It should be true in every culture, in every context, things like practices, the, the ordinances of baptism, the Lord's Supper has uh, biblically delegated leaders, right? So that's really not what I'm talking about in the sense of technical marks of what makes a church a church. What I'm talking about here is Paul's laying out the key marks of a gospel church. There are certain elements that Calvary Baptist Church should have, does have, that mark it as a church. Just as you can see, a soldier looks like this, an athlete looks like this, a church looks like this. And I believe the language I sometimes use is a church should be culturally appropriate, counterculture for the kingdom of God. So remember that theme. We'll talk about this actually a lot over the next few weeks. Culturally appropriate, counterculture for the kingdom of God during our Q&A after the service too. And make sure you stick around for that, right? All the information's there on our website. Um, we'd love to kind of engage with you in conversation as well. So we just invite you afterwards and we'll talk some about how a church might be culturally appropriate. I might even say culturally relevant counterculture for the kingdom of God. But I do think the church displays the gospel is the gospel on display to show a different and a better way to live. So we're going to look at several things. Uh, we're going to really dig in the middle section of the message, but let's start by with number one. Um, and you can follow on the PowerPoint. Number one, a gospel church is marked by greater vision. Now look at Philippians 1, verse 27, just the first part, right? Just the first part. It's also on your screen. It says this. It says, only let your manner of life, your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So everything Paul is about to tell us is directed towards those who know Christ. And honestly speaking, that's really the only way any of us has a chance of doing what Paul's about to tell us. If Jesus has come into our lives, we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me say living the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible without the supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, I like to put it this way, trying to be like Jesus outside the power of Jesus actually dishonors Jesus. Let me say it again so you don't miss it. Trying to be like Jesus outside of the power of Jesus actually dishonors Jesus, just makes you, well, it makes you one of two things. If you try to follow God on your own power, because remember, Paul's saying, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we know he's going to tell us on more than one occasion, this is not in our own strength. 
Because if you did it in your own strength, one of two things would happen. One, you just get, I mean, just a deep sense of disappointment. Uh, you'll feel hopelessly unable to be good enough. You'll always feel guilty and condemned. Religion will just heap on you a greater sense of condemnation. Uh, and if this is the way you feel today, just just consistently, consistently spiritually disappointed and downtrodden, I would say to you lovingly that you're forgetting the gospel, which says Jesus does the work of salvation. We trust in him, not ourselves. Then Jesus writes his law in our hearts, empowers us with his Holy Spirit so that we can live lives that are worthy of the gospel. So one option is if you try to live on your own, um, your own strength, you have this sense of disappointment. The other is a sense of pride, because if you convince yourself that you're really living a good life, you get kind of a haughty religious spirit. You can look down on other people pridefully who haven't been able to live up to the standard. You're just comparing your good behavior often to the bad behavior of everyone around you. And I would say this, if you're doing this, you're again forgetting uh, the gospel here because no one is worthy, right? Um, But Christ alone. I love the passage in Isaiah that says, all of our good deeds are like filthy garments. We don't need our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. So, So again, you can get disappointed and downtrodden trying to do it on your own, living this life worthy of the gospel, or you get prideful. And either way, that's not God's design. Um, I want you to leave this service today convinced that the Christian life is impossible in your own power, and it's only possible if you've actually been justified by Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So um, in this verse here, just this one short verse, the first part of verse 27, Paul reminds the Philippian church and us today that um, they and we are citizens of a better, healthy, eternal kingdom, and our lives should match that of this better kingdom, right? So the word only means mono, means just one. Paul says, here's one thing. There's this um, movie that I remember watching years ago called City Slickers. And I don't remember it enough to recommend it to you. Um, um, You know, you you look back and maybe you miss things in a movie. So, but I remember this one scene where uh, Curly, he's kind of the old cowboy character, talks to the Billy Crystal character, one of New York's own. And, uh, and, and Billy Crystal's going through a midlife crisis and, and Curly says to him, you just got to find that one thing. And Billy Crystal says, well, what? He says, well, you got to figure that out yourself. And, and I thought, no, Cur- Curly was right. I mean, deep theological truth that this movie has, you got to find that one thing that the, the problem is it's not different for everybody. It's ultimately letting your mad matter, this one thing only, only, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When that is your driving passion, um, that lines everything up. So as a church, remember, he's writing to a group, not just individually. We can apply this to ourselves very appropriately. But, um, but he's talking about the church. Let your manner of life, you plural, it's, it's a present tense. It's a command. It's not optional, optional or occasional, but it's to be a lifestyle. Our lives are to be marked by a lifestyle that shows Christ has changed us. And this manner of life is actually the term for citizenship. It literally comes from the word in the, in the original language in Greek for city. Remember, they lived in this special Roman free state, right, in Philippi. It was the Phil- in Philippi in Acts 16 where Paul was arrested, then explained to the officials uh, to their embarrassment that he was a Roman citizen. So Paul uses a familiar term to call them and us 2,000 years later is to be citizens for the gospel. And so, and it's interesting because this is an unusual term for Paul. He doesn't use 
this kind of language a lot. He tends to talk more about um, our walk. Paul talked about walking worthy. Here he uses the term because the people of Philippi had such strong ties to Rome. Some called it Little Rome. So they valued citizenship. And, and, you know, I mean, right now in the midst of this time when, you know, New York City is often on the headlines and this is happening or that's happening and, and, and people often there are saying, no, I'm just going to act like a New Yorker. There's a certain resilience, there's a certain toughness, there's a certain expectation that people may expect. That's because we have a bit of a reputation there. So what I would say is, um, is that Paul's actually appealing to the reputation that people in Philippi have this manner of life, this citizenship that you're so shaped by in Philippi, that's the kind of life. God wants you to live a life that's extraordinary because you're citizens of a kingdom that's extraordinary. But this extraordinary life flows from the gospel. Every other form of life is really death. It's a wonderful thing and a blessing to be a citizen of the United States, to be a citizen of, of, of this country, but it, and, but it pales in comparison to our heavenly citizenship. Whatever country you're from or you're born, maybe you're a citizen of, all of them pale in comparison to our heavenly citizenship. And in Ephesians, Paul makes clear our identity because of the gospel is citizens of the household of God. Let's look at it on the screen. We have to go through quickly. It says, so then you are no longer stranger and aliens, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Remember my last message on Philippians, I talked about how we were these living stones. Well, he's just coming back to that, right? We're being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So that's what Calvary is. We're a holy temple knitted together, built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, right? So, so the picture we see here is a beautiful picture, and he does use a strong word. Uh, Paul says, you know, walk in, a, walk in this manner, worthy. And it has the idea of balanced weight. Our lives should be balanced by the right understanding of that one thing, right? Only this. This is the first thing. So if other thing, now it doesn't, don't misunderstand, it doesn't mean that if you're an opera singer, you shouldn't be the most amazing opera singer for the glory of God, even not just singing a Christian song by any stretch. It doesn't mean that if you're a financial planner, it doesn't mean that if you're driving a truck, it doesn't mean if you're loading in a dock. In all of those cases, those are deeply important. Those are part of who we are. Work is a gift from God. Our identity as, as, as depending on your family relationships, those, those matter. Our identity, our ethnic background, that matters. It actually matters so much that in Revelation 7, we're identified as men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. All those matter. But one thing goes below all those things, right? That one thing is the first word in our whole passage today, only, only this one thing. Let your manner be, of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What a great way to recenter us and to remind us, right? And if we're operating without that power, we're, we're actually operating, trying to live that on our own, right? People are not operating from the power of the gospel are like spiritual zombies, right? They're dead, but they're still walking around and trying to live as if they weren't. But truthfully, they're spiritually dead, trying to live a life worthy of the gospel without the power that the gospel provides is as foolish as a zombie trying to carry on a civilized conversation, you just can't do it, right? It's, it's like a dog trying to drive a car. Can't drive. It's not equipped to do so. 
if you if you if you try flapping your arms to fly, you're not going to fly no matter how how hard you flap. So when Paul says only live your life in this manner worthy of the gospel, he's reminding us of the call, but also the power that's necessary. So let's look at the description Paul gives of this worthy life, which is number two on our outline. And that's number number two is a gospel church is marked by united service. So we're going to look more at that. We'll go through that in just a second. Read the passage. Number one, a gospel church is marked by greater vision. And number two, a gospel church, talking about the marks of a church, a gospel church is marked by unified service. Let's look at chapter 27, uh, chapter one, verse 27, and into verse 28, it says this, so that whether I come and see or I'm absent, and he actually does this again in Philippians 2, where if I'm here or I'm absent, I'll explain that later. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by anything, frightened in anything by your opponents. Okay, so boy, here's the marching orders for the church, right? Paul uses terms like soldiers and athletes regularly to show the partnership that is Calvary Church, right? He talks about, um, well, let's take a look at these four things and we'll walk through them. Conviction, standing firm in one spirit. Communal, right, with one mind, okay? Collaboration, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And courageous, those are some markers, right? Some of the markers that we'll see that they were marked by in this unified service. So here we find ourselves, right? I don't know about you. I'm, um, I'm easily distracted. I'd be like talking and then I see a squirrel and I'm just sort of I'm over there. Um, and it seems especially true when we have to, we're supposed to be doing something else, right? Um, for me, I always get, you know, I'm reading a technical book or I'm, or I'm reading something for a research project and just every noise distracts me. Squirrel, you know, it just is what it is. And sometimes it's easy for churches to get easily distracted, to have their, uh, attention easily drawn elsewhere, but God gave one church one main job to do. It's the Great Commission, which says to make disciples in all the world through sharing the gospel. I'm really looking forward to our missions conference, uh, November 1, I believe it is, and we're really excited about um, walking through that together. Um, and so, but, but that being said, um, we're going to get to that more, but before we do, let's take a look here at how Paul builds these four things, conviction, communal, collaboration, and courageous to kind of describe, because he he's, says a life that's worthy of the gospel is one where the church has a conviction together, standing firm in one spirit, having lost sight of the one thing that we're commissioned to do. And so he comes back to that. It says, um, whether I see you or whether I'm absent, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So let's let's look at that because he, he he's pointing to us um, in, in Philippi. There was a Roman garrison stationed to protect the northern border of the empire. So standing firm is a military expression, actually, picturing like a phalanx of soldiers lined up in place, ready to hold off a horde of barbarians, is the way Romans would have thought about it. I think it's important for us to consider that. Warren Wearsby used to be a pastor of Moody Church. Um, he wrote this: "The Christian life is not a playground; it's a battleground." We are sons and daughters, I'd add, in the family, enjoying the fellowship of the gospel. We are servants sharing in the furtherance of the gospel. But we're also soldiers defending the faith of the gospel. So these, um, these matter that we understand these things, right? Because um, there's actually Isaac Watts, very famous hymn writer, the father of English hymnody, 
he wrote a hymn that included these words. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the lamb? And shall I fear to his own cause or blush to speak his name? Uh, it goes on and says, must I be carried to the skies or flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Very, very much military imagery. Uh, sure, I must fight if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by their words. So Paul is describing a continuous ongoing process of standing together. Can I just tell you that right now in the midst of uh, Calvary Baptist Church's sojourn in, they will call it talk terms of a sojourn in the wilderness, but of course so many churches around the world are, but in our case, it's particularly fascinating. It's unique. It's one of a kind, but we've got to stand together. Uh, we've got to stand together because of our love for the gospel and our love for one another. And uh, habits, Paul's telling us that, that, that habitually standing together, the normal routine of members of the church is to stand together in, ex, in, in, in conviction, and that would be the, the norm, not the exception. We're divided churches. We've all seen that. So, right? so listen to what Paul says to the church, at, uh, the Thessalonican church. He says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. So Paul's actually saying, hold to these things, stand firm. This is an ongoing picture, right? So we start there, right? And, and, but then let's look through at these examples that we're talking about, right? We talked about conviction, standing firm uh, in one spirit. Let's not move from there. So first conviction, standing firm in one spirit. But then second is going to be communal, he says, with one mind. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're all sharing the same brain. Um, there are differences the way we think. But, but our, what the reality is, is a common way of thinking. Right, right now, um, Calvary Baptist Church and churches all around the world need a common way of thinking because there's a lot of division in the world today. Um, and so there's going to be differences in how we might live that out in different cultures and contexts. But the reality is, is that we've got to have together a sense of being of one mind. Um, and with Calvary Church, God's put together a unique mix of people, a motley team we talked about a few weeks ago, that God um, and he continues to draw people into that community, into the church, people like you with unique gifts and abilities, and then people like people who are not you with unique gifts and abilities. And, and so this unique church is created. And ultimately, I love this passion of this, this picture of being together in one mind. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20, it says, but as God, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose for, if we were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts of one body. I, I know that after church, we'll see each other on Zoom, but I know that we haven't seen each other in person in a while, though the elders and deacons and staff are making some plans to, to do some pop-up opportunities for that. And I'm excited about being a part of those. Um, but what I want you not to miss is, is that I, I need you to, in your mind, think about maybe the last time we were together and think about how in the midst of that, we loved and cared for one another. We were of one mind. There was a communal sense together. All right, we need to move forward or I'm going to run out of time. And uh, one of the, the, the downsides of, of being on video is I don't get to like keep going longer and say, we're going to go a little longer. I don't get to say, I hope you packed a lunch because this sermon's going to go on for an hour. I know you're like, please, thank you, Lord, for video. Um, so let's talk about the third thing is collaboration. It says striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving is an athletic term. So it's using terms from warfare and here from athletics. We get our word from athlete actually from this word and striving. 
Uh, and so think about it, right? There's a kind of a positive kind of striving, right? We're deliberately choosing to work together to collaborate for something good. And right now we're collaborating for something good for the faith of the gospel, but also for the future of our church, right? We're collaborating together for the kind of church we will be six months or a year from now. We want people to come to faith. We want people to grow in faith. And we want people to be united in that collaboration. So we don't want to miss that, right? We were together in this. First Peter 4.10 is one of my favorite passages. Um, it says this, as each has received a gift, that's you, that's me. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. First Peter uh, 4.10. So again, um, all of us have this sense. We use our gifts together to serve uh, across all the boroughs, you know, and beyond to show and share the love of Jesus, to make that a mark of who we are in collaboration. Because here's the thing, uh, though we are not together physically with feet and faces, we're together with electrons and avatars, um, we can still collaborate, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and things we do, the way we serve, the way we care and more. And lastly, losing, using the passages here from uh, Paul as our guide, is courageous, not frightened. He says, not frightened. We should, right now, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid about the state of the world. We don't need to be stay afraid about the future of our city. We don't need to be afraid about the future of our church, because God is already in the future. He's already seen the future. He's already got a plan for us individually and corporately on that journey. So uh, frightened is, um, is the idea in the original language of like a reflection, excuse me, a reflexive action after being startled, right? It can be startling, right? When you, when you hear your church gets shut down, right? When you hear um, Governor Cuomo or, 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 or whoever might be our local, uh, our local uh, political officials um, give us a, uh, a directive you can't meet. And people are like, well, what does that mean? I mean, what does that mean for us? Because, I mean, the, the reality is it's, it can be a frightening, startling thing when Governor Murphy in New Jersey lays out a, an, an edict and we get all nervous about what the future holds. But, you know, that didn't surprise, surprise God either. There's no shock. The Lord's not unsure what to do next. He's, he's, he's not struggling with his plan. So the startled moment, right, it says, don't be frightened. Don't be startled. Be courageous instead. And we as a church are going to need to be courageous together to join hands. And for some of you, you need to be strengthened in your faith today. And I get it. You need to realize the gospel is true and it's the most important thing in the world. It's the one thing. When this happens, you'll find your courage bolstered. Uh, you, when this happens, you'll be courageous. You can't be bold if you're not sure and confident in the gospel. But if we're sure and confident in the gospel, we're confident individually and for the future of our church. I love 1 Corinthians 16.3. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And act like men may be a strange phrase because some of you might be women or you might be saying, that, does that apply to me? And it actually literally means have manly courage. Um, there's a sense that all of us are called in this moment to have a sobriety and a seriousness is that ultimately we are going to get through this with a sense of courage, with a sense that God is going to get us through this in his strength. So, so again, I don't want you to miss some of the beauty of the passage that's here, but we're going to do this together. Look at Ecclesiastes 4.12. Uh, it says this, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So together, right at the beginning of this book, we talked about elders and deacons. 
uh, and I would add staff and I would add interim teaching, Pastor Stetzer, uh, we're going to get through this. Um, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, and in God's goodness, we're going to live lives worthy of the gospel. Okay, which leads us to number three. And I'm, I know you're adding up the time and saying, how's he going to land this plane? I'm actually going to. So number three is going to help us to get kind of some clear application. A gospel church is marked by gracious tension, by gracious tension. It says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 28 and following. It says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation uh, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have some tensions here. And tensions are important in life. Paul offers the tension between belief and suffering, we love to believe. We don't love suffering. I don't. We talked about that just a few weeks ago. You can rewind, if you will, and watch former uh, former messages. But God made the world to function with tension, right? Enough rainfall for crops to grow, but not too much to drown them or too little to parch them. Just the right distance from the sun so we don't burn or freeze, held with this tension of gravity. Um, you know, all these tensions here and suffering for Christ is a hard thing. But Paul actually says here, I mean, he speaks very straightforward about Christian suffering. He actually says that God had graced them with suffering. Now, again, we don't have time to re-preach that message on suffering, but I really want to encourage you to go back um, and, and walk through that as well. Because here's the thing for us, God doesn't always give us certainty, but he gives us clarity. Political division may make us uncertain, but we can be clear that we are citizens of a greater kingdom. A pandemic may bring uncertainty. Uh, Building situations may be rolled uncertainty, but we can have clarity that it will end and how to live in the middle of it. So Paul shared this tension. He says engaged in the same conflict, right? It's in the original language. This is an athletic term for which we get the term agony. Um, And he explained this earlier. Remember, he says in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Remember, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. So Paul says suffering is a gift that's been granted. means God graces us with it. Right, Just in that sense, it's hard for us sometimes to receive, and we won't re-preach that whole message if you can look back there. But can I just tell you, suffering and hard times draw us closer to God. And because of that, we can actually take this moment, and we can actually recognize that we can be prepared to suffer it's necessary. We can always be ready to, to talk about Jesus and defend our faith. We can share with gentleness and respect, and, and we can not just talk, but make sure we live out what we believe Remember those four things that we talked about that are going to be key for us as Calvary Church moving forward together. It's conviction. We're standing firm in one spirit. We've got work to do. We've got a city to reach. We've got a gospel to share. We've got missions around the world to engage. A conviction. Communal. Doing it together with one mind. Collaboration side by side for the faith of the gospel. Soon with feet and faces. For now with electrons and avatars. And in places that we can in feet and faces. And courageous, not frightened. Isn't it powerful how these verses speak 2,000 years ago, and they speak also to us? Let me encourage you that Philippians is a wonderful book. Don't skip, walk through, rewind. I know it's not a physical rewind, but listen to the messages that you miss so that we can walk through Philippians together. And if it'd be an encouragement to you, maybe consider reading Philippians over and over 
uh, maybe once a week reading through the book and we'll continue to engage it together. Let's take just a moment and pray and really ask the Lord to speak this verse into our heart. Remember, it started with the word only, one thing, only one thing. And may we live our lives in such a way that only that one thing drives us, unites us, get us on mission, brings us together and keeps us together. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you would remind us only, this is the most important, that one thing. Lord, may my life be marked by that. May all of our lives at Calvary be marked by that. Father, I pray that for those who don't know you, you might speak to their hearts today, maybe even to reach out to us through the means at our website and even here as we live stream. Father, I pray you might open their hearts to the goodness of the gospel so they might respond to the truth of that one thing. And for all of us, Lord, May we actually live our lives in such a way that it reflects these kinds of values, this this kind of idea that as a church together, we might have the marks of a gospel church, and that having those marks, we indeed might live our lives in such a way that people see, and and they see from the outside and from the inside that we're marked by conviction, communal, collaboration, and courageous, standing firm with one mind, striving side by side, and not frightened. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. For more information, to connect, make a prayer request, or make a contribution, go to our website at www.cbcnyc.org or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.